Amen. Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out? And if you would go to the book of Acts, please, Acts chapter 15 is where we will be today as we are continuing our series called Acts, the Amazing or Amazing Boldness. So Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41 is where we will be this morning. And uh, Josh and Music and Worship Ministry, thank you so much for leading us in worship today. Thank you so much. That song that we sang, uh, You've Already Won, is one of my favorites. Josh and I have talked about that. Um, I sing that song almost every day. Just, I love that song. So to sing it with the rest of you is just, that's that's good for my soul. And so thank you so much for that. Britton, thank you uh, for your work in the college ministry. And uh, church, have you been blessed and encouraged today? Have you been... Well, I I can tell you, when I walked in the church, the sanctuary this morning, I knew today was going to be an amazing day. Do you know why? Because a black cat tried to keep walking into our church this morning. (laughs) And I remained calm. I did not kick the cat. I let other people take care of the cat. And so, don't let it in here, okay? Don't, but anyways, listen, I'm really, really glad that you are here today, and I'm so, so thankful that we can come and worship, um, and then we can come and sit under God's Word, and I pray that He will speak to you clearly today, because the passage that we want to look at this morning, Acts chapter 15, verses 36 uh, through 41, um, it is a passage of Scripture that uh, I would say is rather unsettling. It's a shocking passage. It's a difficult passage. Um, It it reminds me of watching a movie, when we read this text here in a second, it reminds me of watching a movie that has a a surprise ending or an ending that you would consider rather disappointing. Um, and as I was trying to think of a movie that, that might, that kind of has that, one of, the, one of the movies that I like, and I think is one of the best movies of all time, and it had a strange and maybe a disappointing ending, it's, it's this right here. Yeah? Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? The Empire Strikes Back. Students, you have no idea, but... Uh... But anyways, Empire Strikes Back, a great movie. Um, I'm a Star Wars guy. Many of you are as well. Um, but the ending was quite, there was a strange, awkward uh, ending because, you know, in that movie, uh, Vader, Darth Vader gives a surprise phrase, right? Everybody know what that phrase is? Luke. Very good. Now quote Romans 12:1 for me, please. There you go. Yeah. That's the memory verse of this month. Anyways, but, but Vader gives that, that phrase, Luke, I'm your father, and puts this whole twist on this movie, and it's, it's a surprise. But, but then you see something take place within the good guys of the story, right? Remember Luke, he loses his hand. His hand is cut off. What's going on with that? And then one of the great guys in that movie, uh, Han Solo, you know what happens to him, right? He's frozen in carbonite. And that's the end of the movie. It's like, what? It's like, it's like evil wins. Vader wins. And you leave the movie theater going, what in the world happened? But it's so awkward and it's so, I don't know, strange that it, that it leaves you wanting more. It makes you want, man, I want to know what's going to happen next. This is this text. 
We read this text and we go, what just happened? And we don't understand it. But it's something that we as believers in Christ, we, we often face what we're going to talk about here this morning. And it's, it's hard. Um, it's, it's, it's life not at its finest moment. And in our text, we see probably one of the greatest disagreements in all of scripture. And we see two of the church's earliest giants. We see two men of the faith. And they go at it and they break up. And this is a big deal. Seeing Paul and Barnabas split apart, this is huge. This is on the level of, some of you know this, this is on the level of Sonny and Cher breaking up. <laughs> this is on the level of, I don't know, one of my favorite groups, Simon and Garfunkel, anybody know those? They broke up. It's on the level of the Beatles breaking up. Students, it's on the level of Taylor Swift breaking up with her next boyfriend. <laughs> it's on that level. It's on that level because if there was a People magazine, if there was social media here during this moment in time, it's all over the place. This is major headlines here. Paul and Barnabas break up. Who's at fault? That's what goes on here. And it all stems from a disagreement. It all stems from something that they don't get along or they don't understand and they, and they begin to argue. And so we see two Christians, solid Christians, spiritually mature believers of Jesus Christ have a knockdown, dragged out fight. Church, can that happen? Can believers in Christ, can they still disagree? Does that happen? Absolutely. Let's, let's be honest here. How many of you have ever been in a disagreement with someone and it's gotten pretty intense? Can you see your... Are you sitting next to that person right there? <laughs> Is this reality? Can this happen? Can Christians disagree, and can Christians disagree to a point that they separate? Well, that's what we're going to read today. That's what we're going to study. It's a little awkward. It's a little strange, but it's in God's Word, and it's in God's Word for a reason that we can maybe, we can glean something from that. So let's look at this ancient quarrel. And let's see if we can learn some biblical principles regarding disagreements and pick up in verse number 36. And it reads, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's return and let's go visit the brothers in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and let's see how they are doing. Now, let's stop there for just a second because this is the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. We know from scriptures that he goes on at least three missionary journeys. This is the second, the beginning of the second missionary journey. We know from Acts 13 and Acts 14 uh, that their first missionary journey, it was a success. 
uh, Paul and, and Barnabas, they were on a high, and they come in Acts 15, they come to Antioch, and they go to Jerusalem, and they go back to Antioch, and there they spend the rest of their time there. They are teaching the church, they're discipling the church, and all things are good. And, and somewhere along the way, Paul looks at Barnabas and says, man, I've got a great idea. Let's go back to where we came from, and let's just go talk to those whom we've met. Let's go talk to the churches that we've started. Let's go see if we can encourage them, but let's go back and let's teach them more scripture, or let's teach them more about Jesus, about grace. And Barnabas is like, man, this is a great idea. And Barnabas is on board. Verse 36, this is a great vision. Paul and Barnabas, they are together. They love the idea of going back to where they came from. And then they begin to discuss the how and the who. And as soon as they do that, fireworks happen. Let's pick up our story in verse number 37. And it says this, is Barnabas, he wanted to take John, called Mark, along with him also. Verse 38, but Paul, kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now, notice here that in verses 37 and 38, or 36, 37, or 38, Barnabas and Paul, they're on the same page for the why of the mission, for what of the mission. But the sticking point is the who and the how. And verse 38 gives us a clue that something has happened. Something has happened. An incident took place on their very first journey. Well, let's go back on that journey, and I'm going to show you a video that, y'all remember Andy Cook, who came and spoke to us a couple of weeks ago? He actually, he made a video for us as we go on this journey. You remember the journey, Paul and Barnabas and Mark go from Antioch to Cyprus. They leave Cyprus, a place called Epamphus, and they make all the way across the Mediterranean Sea to this place called Perga in Pamphylia. This is all in Acts chapter 13, verse 13. And it says they left Cyprus, and they go to Perga in Pamphylia. But something happens. In Acts 13, it says this, in Perga, in Pamphylia, Mark left the mission trip. He quit. He gave up. And we don't know why. Scripture doesn't tell us why, but, but Mark leaves the journey. And by the time Paul and Barnabas make it to Pisidian Antioch, which is where one of the greatest stories takes place, Mark is nowhere left to be seen. But here's what we do know about Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. The easiest part of the journey was in Cyprus. That was the smoothest part of their journey. Things got extremely difficult when they got to Perga. It's quite possible that when Mark makes it to Perga with them, it's quite possible that he sees the mountaintops of Pisidian Antioch. Possibly he sees uh, the tall mountains with, with uh, snow on top of the mountains. And, and maybe Mark said this, mm, I, I'm not going to the mountains. I don't like cold weather. I like the island life. Anybody agree with him on that one? <laughs> I don't think most of us do here probably, right? It's quite possible. He says, man, I'm, I'm not going to the mountains. I'm not doing it. My people are here. I'm not, I'm not going there. But we, we don't know why. We can speculate. Maybe Mark is not on the journey. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe Mark doesn't like Paul. Maybe, I mean, church, let's be honest sometimes. Sometimes when I, when I, when I read Paul, sometimes I get mad at Paul. 
Are you with me? He's hard. He's hard. I'm like, man, I, some, I could probably get that. Maybe he got mad at Paul. Maybe, maybe Mark, you remember Mark and Barnabas, that's family. Maybe Mark thinks Barnabas should be the guy in the lead. Maybe, maybe he thinks that. Maybe he just got homesick. I, we don't know. But what we do know is this, at a very critical moment in the mission journey, in taking the gospel to those who have not heard, in a very critical moment, Mark abandons the ministry. And he leaves and he goes home. We don't know really what goes on, but we know some time passes. And Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go on another journey. And Barnabas says this, hey, Paul, I have a great idea. Let's take Mark with us. How do you think Paul would respond to that? You're right. He doesn't respond well at all. He says, you're crazy. That boy, Mark, he left us. I'm not giving him a second chance. Well, look at verse number 39. And if you're with me this morning, say amen. amen. Verse 39, he says this. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they, Paul and Barnabas, separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark, and he sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas, and what are those next two words? And left. That doesn't seem very Christ-like, does it? This is hard. Continue on, it says, verse 4, but being committed by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, there's grace. In verse 41, it says, and Paul and Silas, they were traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And here we read, of this broken relationship of the dynamic duo, Paul and Barnabas. This is a strange ending to a great movie. This is hard. So using this story, what I want to do the rest of our time together is I just want to point some things out to us that I think we need to understand and then maybe how we can work through this story. Because I, I'll tell you what I, what I want to do is I want to take the story and I want to go to how do you reconcile with one another, but when you read the story, you don't see any reconciliation in this story here, right? Now, we, we're going to read about that later, but, but right here, let's deal with the right here, this moment here. Are you with me? So what can we learn? What can we learn from this story and this true story that, that for some reason God has put in his inerrant word. What is this? Number one, I want you to write this down. Number one, Christians can and often do disagree. Amen? I think that's one thing that we have to come to grips with. Christians do disagree with one another. For whatever reason, we typically are shocked when Christians disagree with one another. Would you agree with that? 
Like, oh, how dare they? They could disagree. Well, they're believers in Christ. How could they disagree? Well, we're human. And since you're a human, guess what? You are going to disagree. Like, for example, already this morning, some of you have disagreed with me already. You know why? Because I said I wanted to kick a cat. Amen? <laughs> some of you, you already got fired up about that. My pastor wants to go, I'm going to tell I don't want to kick no cat. Well, you're wrong. I'm right. So, <laughs> But we disagree. We, we, we disagree with one another. And I think one of the things that we have to understand as believers in Jesus Christ, there are going to be disagreements. Nowhere in Scripture are we taught that you are going to live a life that is perfect, it's a walk in the roses, that you're, it's a beautiful thing, and that all things are perfect. That's not reality. The pictures we see in social media of everybody going on vacation, that's not reality. That's not the truth. Now that's, 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 it's moments. It's moments, but the reality is most of us don't live in the high moments. We live in the valley. You and I are not created to live in the high moments all the time. We can't do that. We can't live that way. You have to come down and you have to get in the valley. What takes place in the valley? In the valley is where you're going to have disagreements. In the valley, you're going to have miscommunication. In the valley, you're going to butt heads. That's reality and that's the valley. Amen? That's just what happens in his book called The Great Church Fights. Isn't that a great title to a book? Leslie Flynn tells of a young pastor. It was a father who heard an argument out in his backyard. He goes out to the backyard to see what the argument is all about, and he finds out that it is his young daughter, and several of her friends are having a huge, heated argument. And the father, who's a pastor, looks at his daughter and tries to stop the fighting, and his daughter looked up to him and said these words, oh, it's okay, Dad, we're just playing church. That hits pretty close to home, doesn't it? Recently, I read an article titled, What to Wear to Church. <laughs> Do you think anybody disagreed to that article? Yeah, absolutely. Tom Rayner, in a recent blog, uh, posted 25 silly things churches argue about. I'm not going to read all 25, but these came from pastors who shared this information with Tom. One church argued, are you ready for this? Britain, pay attention. <laughs> argued over the length of the pastor's beard. <laughs> Get this, another church, true story, another church argued over whether to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. Man, I'm dying to know the resolution on that one. <laughs> Josh, here's one. One church argued whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the worship service. <laughs> yes! Here's one. Um, a deacon accused another deacon of sending an anonymous letter and decided to settle the matter in the parking lot. It's pretty good, isn't it? We argue over some of the dumbest things, don't we? Here's some other things that, that I wrote down. It may come close to home. Maybe not. 
How about this one? Should we call Sunday school Sunday school? <laughs> or should we call it something else, right? We, yeah, we agree, but we still don't know what to call it. How about this one? Should we have Sunday school or home, uh, or home groups during the week? We have Christians that fight over this. We have churches that fight over this. Here's a good one. This is going to get real. Are you ready? You ready? Traditional worship or contemporary worship? Hmm. I see the darts about to fly. <laughs> but are, am I right on this one? We struggle. As if God is more pleased in one or the other. Hmm. How about this one? You're going to like this one. Should Christians observe Halloween? All right. Homeschool or public school? We Christians disagree with this, on that one. How about this one? Because I've seen this one this morning already. How about this one? You're sitting in my seat. Oh, not here, pastor. Oh, yes, here. <laughs> You're in my seat. Get out of my seat. Here's another one, because this one's a true story. Um, communion, the Lord's Supper. How often should we observe the Lord's Supper? Um, true story. Um, I'm in my 10th year here. It's probably my first or second year here. Um, we had a family leave the church because I did not observe the Lord's Supper on a monthly basis. Is that something we leave the church about? Is that something that we argue over? Well, we do. And we can, we can laugh at some of these things, and I think it's great because sometimes when you take our arguments outside of the context, they're pretty ridiculous. Would you agree with that? How many of you have ever been in an argument with your spouse, a close friend, and you begin to argue, argue, argue about halfway through, you don't even know what the argument's about? And you pull back and you go, that is just so dumb what we're even arguing about. Well, this, is, this happens, but the reality is we, we disagree. We're human and we're going to disagree. But as believers, as Christians, we unite around Jesus and rightly so, but sadly we argue about everything else. And the world is looking for believers who love one another. Non-believers don't think that we are perfect or that we don't argue. They don't think that. They see us. They just want us to see the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Which in every typical argument, the fruit of the Spirit goes out the window. Isn't that right? <sighs> This is hard. Here's the second thing that I want you to see when it comes to disagreements. Is that disagreements can be painful. Disagreements can hurt. They hurt. They can hurt you, your, your emotional, mental, sometimes painful, your, your physical stress. It can hurt the body, it hurts relationships, disagreements are painful. Are you in agreement with that? They hurt. Look back at verse 39. And I want you to see how severe this is. 
Verse 39 tells us that Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. Do you see that phrase, sharp disagreement? Um, The Greek is a very interesting word. Most translations say disagreed sharply or simply argued. Um, I'm not a big fan of the message by Eugene Peterson, but I like what he says, how he translated this. And it says this, go to the next slide, please. It says, this is, this is Eugene Peterson and the message. It says this, Barnabas wanted to take John along, the John nicknamed Mark, but Paul wouldn't have him. He wasn't about to take along a quitter. Go to the next one. Who as soon as the going got tough, jumped ship on them, tempers flared, and they ended up going their separate ways. Again, I don't always like the message, I like this one here. Because that Greek word that Luke uses when he says they had a sharp disagreement, it's a Greek word that really means violent, hostile, angry, and harsh. So what I want you to see in this story, in this text, is this conversation between Barnabas and Paul, part of Barnabas, it wasn't like uh, Barnabas said to Paul, hey Paul, man, I think it'd be great if we took Mark along with us. And it's not like Paul said to him, well, you know, I don't know if that's really a good idea. And it's not like Mark, uh, Barnabas said, you know, he's a, he's a good guy. It's going to be okay. Let's give him another chance. And it's not like Paul said, man, I, I just really don't know. I mean, he left us. I don't know. And it's not like both of of them said this, well, no, let's pray about it. That's not the conversation. According to the text, they weren't nice about it. As a matter of fact, when you, when you dive into uh, the Greek um, understanding and the word and, and how it's used, um, when it says that Barnabas wanted to take John, and when it says that Paul kept insisting, um, those those. Those Greek verbs are, are the imperfect tense, which you're going, thanks, pastor, that's great news, wonderful. Well, what does that mean? The imperfect tense means this, that they kept on, kept on. It means there was no stopping. It means that Barnabas said, no, I want Mark. I want Mark. I want him. Paul says, I don't want him. And it means they kept on going on. It was contentious. They weren't stopping. They were arguing over and over and over again. And the more they argued, the angrier they became. Barnabas thought he was right, and Paul thought he was right. So church, let's just sit here for a moment. Let's be honest. Who do you think is right in this disagreement? Let's, let's take a survey, okay? All right. How many of you think Paul was right in this argument? Raise your hand. Chickens. All right, very good. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. How many of you think Barnabas was right in this? Okay, now here's the deal. Not everybody voted in this survey, all right? All right. Who's right? Who's wrong? Well, let me give you my opinion. This is just opinion because scripture doesn't tell us. Scripture doesn't tell us who's right or who's wrong in this text. As a matter of fact, listen, scripture doesn't even condemn that they were, dis- that they were disagreeing with one another. They don't, it doesn't do that. So who's right and who's wrong? Well, here's, here's, my, here's my opinion. You can take it, whatever it's worth, that's fine. I think, I think Paul and Barnabas are looking at the same problem with two different lenses. 
which is often where disagreements come from, right? Paul is looking at it through the lens of ministry. Paul says, I see people whom we've shared the gospel with, who need more teaching, who need more discipling, we've got a job to do to go check on them, and I, do, I don't want a quitter on my team. I've got to get a job done. Is Paul wrong in that? I don't, I don't think so. And then you have Barnabas, who he sees the same problem, but, but he's looking at it through a different angle, but he's looking through the, the lens of a man. He's looking at, listen, we've had a man who went on this journey with us, whose name is Mark, and here's the deal. Paul, he failed. Let's give him another chance. Let's, let's, give, let's, give, let's give my cousin another chance. He's really a good guy, but let's give him another chance. Do you think Barnabas was wrong in that? I, I don't think he was wrong in that either. But he, I do think this, as I've reflected on this, we don't have an answer into who was right or who was wrong in this text, but I kind of think that dependent upon your very own personality style is whom you're going to side with. That's just kind of what I think. Could be wrong, that's fine. Email me, I'll delete it, but that's fine. <laughs> Like for example, I'm a people person. Um, I, I just navigate towards the, the people side and I would, you know, in this argument and, and I would line up with, with Barnabas. I would think Barnabas is right and I would think that Paul is the, I, I'm gonna use a Greek word for what I think Paul is. It's spelled J-E-R-K, a jerk, but that's just a complete <laughs> Greek word. I, I, but that's, that's kind of my person, that's my bent. But if you're more of a task-driven person, you're gonna side with Paul and you're gonna say, Barnabas, you are a weak man. We don't have time to pick somebody up. I, we got a job to do. Regardless of who's right or wrong in this disagreement, Bible doesn't tell us, but whatever happened, it just didn't work. So let me share some, just a couple of application points uh, on this when it comes to disagreements. And by the way, uh, if there's ever a text in the, of scripture that I am unqualified to teach upon and speak upon, it would come to conflict resolution. I'm not good at that. Anybody in here good with that? No. Sometimes I get it right, most of the time I don't. Anybody with me on that one? This is tough. Well, let me just give you a couple things that, that I see from this text that maybe this can apply to you. Number one, separating or separation may be better than continual disagreement. Folks, sometimes it's okay to separate. Now, Stop there for just a second. Remember the context of this. The context, now listen closely, okay, listen closely. The context is friends setting forth on a mission together. The context is not marriage. 
Because what I just said, where I said separation is okay, some of you who may be in a difficult time, you may say, well, the pastor said separation is okay. I'm not talking about marriage here. Okay? Everybody with me? Right here, sometimes it just doesn't work out. And the scriptures do not condemn that. Scriptures don't. Look at verse 39. It says, they separated from one another. That Greek word for separated means this. It was a total break in the relationship. It was a complete break. They were angry. They left. This was, this was a, their, their friendship was torn apart. And you can read in the rest of the text, in the rest of verse 39, it says this, that pretty quickly after this disagreement, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. They left pretty quickly. You look at verse 40, and it says, as Paul and Silas, they left. And scripture doesn't condemn this. And neither do we need to condemn it when sometimes we just have to go separate ways. Are you with me? Students, students, one of the hardest things that you'll ever learn in life, and parents and adults, we need to learn this as well. Sometimes we have friends in our lives that we need to separate from. Pastor, that's hard. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes you just have to separate. And you have to get away from somebody. I'm not talking being mean. I'm not talking about this. Sometimes you just got to get away. If there's this overarching negativity in a relationship that you have, now, now one, I am speaking into a a a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship here with you because you can separate those relationships. And some of you need to separate and get out. And that's okay. It's okay. I want everybody to listen. This is hard. It's okay for some relationships to not have a happy ending with it all, with a bow tied up on it. Does that make sense? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes separation's okay. Here's the second thing I want to tell you. Give God time to work in order to reconcile the relationship. God is interested in reconciliation. Now, when we read this text, we don't see much about reconciliation, but what you have to do is you have to read the rest of Paul's letters. And Paul talks about reconciliation, that a goal in broken relationships is reconciliation. But know this, reconciliation does not always mean a restoration to what it was like previous to that. Does that make sense? But you can still have that relationship reconciled. Because here in, in Acts 15 and 16, we see that, gosh, this is a hard breakup. This is difficult. The disagreements has overflowed. There's frustrations, and they go separate ways. And what we know is that Paul goes north, and Barnabas goes west, and they separate. Do you know how long they are separated for? About 10 years they're separated. Well, pastor, how do you know that? you got to read the rest of Scripture. 
You read the rest of scripture and you see later on in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter nine, we see out of nowhere, Paul writes about Barnabas. And they've been separated for years, about 10 years. And 10 years later, Paul writes and he says this about Barnabas. He is my fellow apostle, my partner, my coworker. So in that 10 year gap, something happened where maybe God softened Paul's heart or maybe God softened Barnabas's heart and somehow, some way they were reconciled. But it was 10 years, but yet they were reconciled. We read later on about Paul and Mark, how they were reconciled. This is about 12, 13 years later. 12 to 13 years later when Paul is imprisoned in Rome, we have no idea of any communication between Mark and Paul, but something has happened, something has been going on. We don't know all the story, but we know in the book of Colossians. In Colossians 4, at verse 10, it says this, Paul is writing and he says this, my fellow prisoner, uh, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. So apparently somewhere, somehow, Paul and Mark have been reconciled. So that the quitter that Paul called Mark the quitter is now ministering with Paul. And you jump forward to three years later in the book of 2 Timothy. Are y'all still with me? In 2 Timothy chapter four, the book of 2 Timothy, this is Paul's last letter. It's his last words. He's in prison. He's about to be put to death, and he begins to write a letter to his young protege whose name is Timothy, and he writes these words. He says, Timothy, everybody's left me. Everybody's left me. He says, Demas has forsaken me. Cretius has gone to Galatia, Titus, went on, there's only one person with me and his name is Luke. But in 2 Timothy 4, 11, Paul writes these words. He says, go pick up Mark and bring him with you because he is useful for me and my ministry. It's reconciliation. But that took 10 to 15 years. You know, sometimes we have relationships that are broken. We've all had them. You're going to have them. Sometimes you just got to trust God and trust his timing that, that he will bring about reconciliation between you and that person. God has to do it. Amen? Let me share this last point and then we're going to be done. Here's the last thing I want you to do as we look at this argument. And church, I want you to hear this very, very, very closely. Hold your convictions graciously. Whatever you believe is to be the right thing to be done, hold your convictions graciously. Because we don't know if Paul was right, we don't know if Paul was wrong, we don't know if Barbara was right, we don't know if Barbara was wrong but you hold your convictions graciously. Paul would later write in Romans chapter 14, he'd write these words. 
One person regards one day above one another. Another regards every day alike. But each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Which means this. You, you hang loosely to your convictions. You have convictions. You be convicted about something that you believe to be right, but you hold on to it loosely. If you like pastors who are clean-shaven, that's great. That's wonderful. But don't write him an anonymous letter. Amen. <laughs> right? If you prefer homeschool over public school, that is not a means for arrogance. If you prefer public school over homeschool, it's not the means for condemnation. You hold on to your convictions, but you hang on to them loosely and graciously. I'm not talking about the, the, the doctrines of the faith. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about things that really aren't that big. Let me close with this story. Some of you may know this name. Some of you may not. How many of you remember the name John and Nita Lavorne? Some of you do. Some of you may not even know them. Pillars of our church. Amen? Pillars of our church. I had the honor to do both of their funerals. I had a great relationship with John and Nita Lavorne. Even though Nita talked to me every single day about the importance of having handbells played every single Sunday morning in the church. <laughs> I was like, Nita, I grew up playing the handbells, but I, I'm not gonna play them every I'm not gonna do it. Well, you need to play those handbells. Yes, ma'am. Love the Lavornes. But there's one story about John. I, many people don't know this. My wife and I know this story. I may have shared it with some of you. I don't know, but it's the picture of what I'm talking about today. Several years ago, when our church was uh, going through a capital campaign to remodel our worship center, our sanctuary, um, and obviously we remodeled. It looks wonderful. Thanks to Jim Jordan, Ray Snow, Sandra Brunson. Y'all did an amazing job. This looks wonderful. It's still beautiful. But prior to the remodel, um, we had, y'all remember the red pews and the red carpet? Y'all remember those? We had those. And our building committee headed by Jim and Sandra and Ray. We, we, I mean, we put so much thought and prayer and all this. We were figuring all that. They were figuring all these things out. And we come up with this plan, what you see here today. We came up with this plan and it was wonderful and it was exciting. Well, we had a church business meeting, a church conference over in Beach Hall. Some of you may have been there. And we let people discuss, share their feelings and whatnot about pews or chairs 
the greatest arguments in church history. <laughs> Pews or chairs, and people will defend it for chairs, people will defend it for pews. Well, one of those who passionately defended and argued for pews was John Lavorne, a pillar of the church. And you know this, you knock down a pillar of the church, then the foundations begin to make them fall apart. Much respect for John Lavorne. And he argued. And I'm sitting there with my hands on my knees going, oh Lord, what did I get myself into? This is about to fall apart. The time came for the church to, to vote and overwhelmingly the church voted for what you see here. And here's one of the sad things about church votes is that somebody wins and somebody loses. It's one of the sad things about church votes. Are you with me? I understand, I get it, but after that church conference, Angela and I were just milling around and John LeVorne comes over to us. I'm going, this is not going to be good. You know, brace yourself. My mind will not be gracious, be kind, smile, just love him, because it's going to be bad. And you remember this. John came up and said, he said, Pastor, he always called me Pastor. He said, Pastor, I stated my opinion and I argued for it because I want pews. And the church did not vote in my favor. And I want to tell you right now that I'm 100% behind the church's decision. And I'm 100% behind you. Let's go get the work done. I'll never forget that moment. It's a marker for me. It's a marker for my wife. It's a marker because we've got to hold on to some things that we highly value with grace. I'm not talking about what Jesus did on the cross, his burial, his resurrection. I'm not talking about those things, but I'm talking about those things that are that change with culture and changes with times. And that we hold it loosely and we hold it with grace. And that the scripture says that even in disagreements, we love one another. Because this is what the Bible says. This is that God showed his love for us. That while we were yet still sinners. Do you know what sinners means? It means those who argue. Those who are 
against the Heavenly Father. He said, but this, this is how God loves you. That even though you were so angry and violent towards my son or angry and violent towards other people, this is my love for you. That I sent my son to die for you because I love you. Let's be a church, a people that loves others. We may disagree and we may go separate ways, but that may never, never, never stop our love for one another. Amen? Let's just pray. And just sit in the moment thanking the Lord for his grace towards us. Father, oh, how so often I have failed in even the words that I've shared this morning. If I'm honest with you, and I think many of us would be in the same boat, there's too many times I haven't done it the way that it ought to be done, and I'm sorry. Father, for any relationships that need to be reconciled today. I pray that you would do your work and take as long as you need. And just as you reconciled Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Mark, May you reconcile believers who have been so separated for so long. And I pray that you do it now. In Jesus' name we pray.